0: And we welcome you to the morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. The ongoing ramifications of the COVID-19 crisis have not begun to be fully calculated or even really understood at this point. For colleges and universities, one ramification of the crisis has been the question of what to do about grades as students across the country find themselves having to learn in unconventional settings and in unconventional ways via virtual learning. Carthage has wrestled with this, as have all colleges and universities. And I wanted to spend some time on the morning show exploring the ways in which Carthage has wrestled with this question. And my guest is Dr. Ed Kawakami, who is actually a colleague of mine from the music faculty at Carthage, where he is an assistant professor of music and a coordinator of orchestral activities. He also works with many of our music ed students. And uh, for the 2017-2018 academic year, Dr. Kawakami was given Carthage's Distinguished Teacher of the Year Award. Dr. Kawakami serves Carthage as chair of its academic senate which took a leading role in the formation of Carthage's grading policy for this spring semester. I appreciate Dr. Kawakami making time in his very busy schedule to have this conversation with me. Uh, Ahead of us talking about our specific topic, maybe you could just uh, offer a a word of summary on what this has been like for you, that is this COVID-19 situation in terms of your own teaching, your own connection (laughs) with your students. Uh, What has this felt like for you?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's been a challenge, of course, it, and it, as it has been for all of us and uh, all of us even outside of academia, it's it's a challenge for everyone. Uh, it poses a certain set of challenges for us in teaching because we we are so used to being hands-on, and and of course our students want to be on campus and interacting with us. Uh, that's that's one of the the high points of Carthage. It's particularly challenging as an orchestral director because how. Ha- how do you have a rehearsal a virtual rehearsal? Uh, technology is fantastic and and these video conferencing software uh, packages have gotten phenomenally good uh, over the last couple of years, but they can 't be done synchronously that is you, you, we can 't have a, i can 't conduct and have all 40, 50, 60 of my students playing a piece uh, and have them be able to do it and you know, ha- have it, uh, end up being like we're in the rehearsal hall together. So it's, it's been challenging. Um, we've found, uh, that the students welcome these online meetings. They, they prefer to be in person, of course, but they welcome them a sense of normalcy and having the schedule, uh, so that they can come in and be in class and, and see their peers and see us and, and, uh, join themselves, uh, and, and continue their learning process. It's, it's been a challenge, but it's a, been a welcome one. In some ways, I think it, it drives our teaching forward. We have to learn new tricks. We have to learn new tools. Uh, but but uh, the, the core is the same. We try to maintain those personal contacts with the students and, and uh, give them the learning outcomes that they deserve and, and require.
0: At what point during all of this did it become apparent that, uh, that Carthage needed to address the question of grading and whether or not the whole process and, and framework of grading uh, should remain essentially untouched as though everything was normal or, or if it needed to be altered? I mean, as soon as we knew that we were going to be moving to this <laughs> virtual teaching model, immediately was this an issue that was raised or only a a bit after the fact
1: that's an interesting question uh the provost david timmerman and and the the president john swallow made the big decision uh and and what john likes or i'm sorry what david likes to say is that that once a big decision was made then we had to figure out the little things and this was it's not a little thing but it's one of the details that we have to take care of i don't i don 't know if uh, the question came up significantly at the very beginning i 'm sure it was on everyone 's mind it was it was a possibility. What do we do? Uh, the debate started to really take place uh, nationally uh, i 'd say within Somewhere in the week of the, the 16th, March 16th or March 17th, somewhere in the middle of the week, somewhere around Wednesdays, when we started to see more and more institutions around the country announcing alternative grading schedules and grading, grading policies, uh, they were going to pass, fail, or satisfactory, unsatisfactory. Some of the big names, like MIT, uh, were going to that modality. And, of course, if you're MIT, you can do whatever the heck you want to and, and be able to get away with it. Uh, and, and the idea is, is to to benefit the student. And so that debate started then, and we started to see more activity on the, the, the faculty uh, email list, a uh, really healthy conversation about what's best for our student and what allows the most flexibility for the, the faculty member.
0: I was really struck by... Uh, just how vigorous, robust that, that conversation was, perfectly cordial, even though there really was a, a bit of difference of opinion uh, about what would ultimately mm-hmm. serve our students best. It was just fascinating to read. And, and in some ways, I, I mean, it's obviously impossible and also improper, but in some ways I wish uh, the general public could have somehow been privy to these this uh, this exchange of emails, this exchange of ideas about how to, to uh, confront this unprecedented situation. I wonder, as you think back on that conversation via email, uh, what, you th- what you recall is some of the most important themes that emerged and, and sort of different perspectives on how best to uh, respond to this. Sure, the, the, the range of ideas was huge.
1: Uh, one idea was to just give blanket A's to all the students. And another, of course, was just to go to strict pass-fail uh, with no, no option for the faculty member to choose otherwise. And, uh, of course, the, the the middle of the road, perhaps, or, or the, the status quo was just to keep a letter grade schedule for, for everyone and and just go ahead with that and, and encourage faculty members to practice what, what we started to call empathetic grading, uh, and that's, that's a, a mushy, gooey term that, that we had to better define later, but it was basically just be sympathetic to the student. Some of the ideas that drove these conversations was when the students are on campus, we know what their resources are. We know that they have a computer, we know that they have access to high-speed internet, we know that what their living situation is like. they live in the dorms they, they get this food they, you know if they have a, a dispute with their roommate. these are the resolution avenues that they have. what we don 't know uh, when they go home is what does that look like? What does their home look, life look like? Are, are they sharing a, a bedroom with with three other or four other siblings? Do they have a study space? Uh, in the case of our music students, do they have a piano if they're a piano major? And, and as silly as that sounds, some of them don't uh, have access to that. Maybe they're, they're, when the, the Illinois lockdown went into effect, they were here. And so they opted to shelter in place here in Wisconsin. And maybe their, their, their townhouse or apartment that they're renting while they're a student doesn't have a piano. And since they aren't allowed back on campus, how do we, uh, how do we accommodate them? Uh, and we started to hear stories that that bore fruit to these these suspicions. You know, uh, our head of LIS, uh, Dr. Carol Sabar, uh, offhandedly mentioned that she was shipping laptops to students that didn't have laptops, and her worry was that she was going to run out of loaner laptops. And another student uh, we heard, I'm I'm also on the the tech helpers mailing list that is the, the faculty members that are somewhat tech savvy and can help other faculty members with technological issues about a student that uh, lived in a rural part, such a rural portion of Wisconsin, that they didn't even have reliable cell service, let alone, uh, they had a landline, but that was it. And they didn't have internet at home. So how do we deliver content to them? We, we have pretty robust online learning systems in place now we We have a, a software package called Schoology where we manage attendance we we manage uh st- students can can turn in homework we can assign quizzes through there we can We can push out reading assignments so on and so forth. but if they don't have internet access, how do we get that to them and you know the underlying all of that is what if they or someone in their family, someone a loved one of theirs, was stricken with COVID-19. How do we deal with that? We have no idea of what that would look like for them, and all these considerations went into saying we can't just keep a standard grading schedule. Schedule. We have to to build in a couple of safety valves so that if the students don't have an internet or maybe they get COVID-19 we have some way of helping the student and advocating for the student.
0: Mm. Uh, Before I give you a chance to kind of uh, spell out how Carthage ultimately answered that question that you just uh, shared, I wonder if you could just say a word about the uh, challenge of trying to come up with a policy that is workable and appropriate Mm. for a wide array of academic disciplines. I mean, like for instance, you and I teach in music and we know our particular concerns and, and, and issues and, and other departments uh, might have uh, different concerns and, and issues when it, when it comes to this, as well as uh, issues related to how they deliver their content versus the way we deliver our content. Uh, how big a factor has that been? How, how significant a complication has that been in trying to arrive at a sensible policy?
1: Sure, it is a huge consideration, uh, not just for the faculty members. In fact, the, the overriding and guiding question was, how can we best serve the student? How, is, how are we going to honor the education that we, we, that they deserve and that we've promised them while allowing them the flexibility and allowing our faculty members of flexibility. And some of the the questions that came up were, there are some professional fields and professional graduate programs that require a grade, a GPA. Um, For example, uh, nursing, they they require it for their licensure. So how do we honor that, and how do we make the flexibility work for them without painting them into a corner? Uh, Or what about a student that is on academic probation or has been on academic probation, but they've really, really worked hard for the first part of the semester. They, they've, they are bringing their GPA up, but if we give them a pass fail, the pass does not, uh, does not affect their GPA. And that's, that's one of the, the, if they fail in a pass fail semester, it does also doesn't negatively affect their GPA, but it doesn't help them bring their GPA up. So if they're on academic probation and their scholarship depends on a GPA, what happens to them then. And so the, there were lots of concerns about uh, just being able to, or, or institute, studying an institution-wide pass-fail grading schedule and, and how it would negatively affect the student, as well as their their future potential law schools, med schools, nursing, uh, licensure for education. So, so a bunch of these started to crop up, and, and it looked they 're really entirely valid concerns what, what wasn 't a concern for us was the uh, were grades as a punitive measure so uh, in in some circles you know an f or D, excuse me an f or a D could be issued as a punitive measure you know you, you did poorly, so i 'm going to give you an F but that 's really not a concern of ours it, it should be what circumstances led the student to having an f or, or a D this semester uh, rather than
0: um, than being a punitive measure. So explain uh, to our listeners the process that took us from this wide-ranging, extensive, vigorous uh, discussion that occurred over uh, email in the uh, faculty discussion group uh, about this. What took Carthage from that to the proposal that was finally created by Somebody with the with the faculty senate. What what did that process look like?
1: Sure. So it, it became readily apparent uh, as this discussion was going on that it was just going to become more robust as as time went on. Uh, Greg, I'm sure you can attest to this. When you when you get a bunch of faculty members in a room, the ideas start flowing, and there's no end to that. Um, and it became apparent that there wasn't going to be a quorum, and there were multiple. Good ideas floating around on the the, the discussion list, and a, a bunch of really good concerns. So about the end of the week, uh, you know, the, the provost called me and said, "You know, the the this isn't going to resolve itself. There's, you know, that it doesn't have a good solution." The uh, parliamentarian of the faculty senate. Uh, the par- Parliamentarian basically determines procedures for the or, or says this is, this is what 's allowed under the rules he said this this doesn 't fly, this is not part of our our charter, this is not part of our bylaws and so we came up with a workable solution the The president and the, the pro- provost are are very pro shared governance, meaning that it 's not just the administration making the decisions but the faculty sharing and the staff sharing in the decision making process. And since this affects the faculty so very much, uh, the the provost said, "Hey, why don't why doesn't the academic senate take uh, uh, take the lead on this and be you know share share what the the faculty actually want to have happen? Maybe a good compromise." And it actually the, our our bylaws, the constitution dictates that the the, the president needs to make the final decision. You know, he is, he is to borrow a term from history. He is the decider, uh, at the end of the day. So, uh, with a little bit of, uh, back and forth with the, fa- the Senate, Senate, the faculty at large and the, the president and also the associate provost who is, who is designated the liaison for this at the provost office. We came up with a task force, a subset of the academic Senate. And for, for your listeners that don't know, the academic Senate is a representative body of all the faculty from across the campus. Uh, and we formed a, a a uh, task force of of six senators, myself included, and a couple representatives from a couple other bodies uh, popped in to help us uh, with the logistics and the nitty gritty. So we had a member of the provost office, uh, David Steach was our liaison. Uh, also, the registrar, Mary Duckworth, she's the one that that handles all the grades and the the transcripts and so on. So she's the one that understands the the logistics of all this. We also had members of SAR the uh, subcommittee for academic review and recommendation uh, they're the ones that that handle the appeals so if, if a student is unhappy with a grade or if uh, if they feel that that you know that something happened in their life where where they they really just need a mulligan for that semester they, they go to this committee and they they listen to the the students case and, and help them out as best as possible so that was we com- uh, compiled or created that that that, uh, committee, that, that task force on Sunday and on Sunday, this is all done virtually. Uh, I assigned the, the task force, the, the job of looking at the entire discussion that we had on online and creating a sense of, What the faculty were feeling Uh, at that time. I also created a a survey, a really simple one, to see where the lines in the sand were being drawn. What what the faculty members, you know, if we force them into a bucket, which bucket would they would they go into, or life raft, as the case might be. So that was Monday. On Tuesday evening, we uh, met online. The task force met online, and we authored a document. Based on those findings, the, the survey and also what our task force members had done, they had gone out and solicited uh, the, the opinions of their faculty, fe- fellow faculty colleagues. Um, and on Wednesday, we, we we released that document to the full academic senate so that we could vote on it on a Thursday evening. And all these meetings were done at eight, eight o'clock at night or or mid-afternoon or the uh, six o'clock dinner time, and so on and so forth so that we could gather as many opinions as we possibly can because this is an important thing that this affects everyone all the students all the undergraduate students as well as all the faculty members and then uh, on Thursday night we met we voted uh, it passed uh, by an overwhelming majority and we sent those recommendations to President Swallow who uh, enacted them
0: and uh, in a nutshell at least what was that recommendation and what is now what, what what will be done in terms of our students in this spring semester?
1: Sure. It's it's seven part. It's super simple, uh <laughs> if you want to think of it that way. It's basically replaced uh all Fs with W's, which is a withdraw. Uh, and that allows a student, the leeway who maybe doesn't, you know, have internet at home, an out. Uh and the W does not negatively affect their GPA. And and some of the, the concerns from the faculty member members were that that what about the student who has been failing since the beginning of the semester? And we understand that there are those students uh, that, that weren't doing so well from the beginning of the semester for whatever reason. Maybe they were ill-equipped to begin the semester. Maybe they, they have family problems, so on and so forth. But those are the, the exceptions. To the rule, and we wanted to take care of the majority of our students who are hardworking, who really do want to do well. Uh, and and this is this is you know where where my personal bias comes into effect is is as I tell my students and as I tell my music education students, no one wakes up in the morning wanting to do horribly. They don't wake up in the morning thinking you know what I'm really gonna suck this morning at school and I'm gonna be happy about it. No, I I don't think anyone no one does that and so that was the benefit of the doubt that we wanted to give our students and allow our students we also extended a couple deadlines normally these deadlines are during the semester or right after um the time limit to uh complete an incomplete grade so the the, you know they they can't get an assignment in so the faculty member says hey i'll give you an incomplete i'll give you an, an extension on the semester essentially, which is normally 30 days after the start of the, the following semester. So that would be 30 days into the summer. has uh, been, been extended into the fall. It's, it's 30 days into the fall. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the idea is that we don't know when the COVID-19, the, all this is going to stop being an emergency. And the student is going to be able to think clearly and rationally and, and outside of crisis mode. Uh, we've also extended the the period in which they can determine whether they want to take the class for pass or withdraw into the fall as well. Uh, it's it's you know and there's also going to be a little note put on the, the the transcript so that any graduate school that looks at their transcript in the future can see, or an employer can see. Oh yes, this was indeed the semester of COVID 19. That this is why the student who's normally uh, a th- GPA student. All of a sudden it had a a 3.0 semester and and understand why that was the case.
0: Briefly, how does this square with what other schools have done? Is is Carthage doing something that uh, looks like a lot of other schools or is there kind of a wider range of responses to this situation? Because of course Carthage is not alone in in finding itself in this unprecedented situation.
1: Sure. I'm going to uh, pat our backs uh, here that that we believe this is a pretty elegant solution. It still retains the autonomy of the faculty member to do what they want to do, but it gives the student the benefit of the doubt. It, It creates those safety valves that they really, really need this semester or might not need. And if that's the case, then they're still going to continue to be straight A students and, and it gives them that flexibility and the faculty member the, the, the opportunity to honor that that effort as well. What I've seen a lot across, uh, across the country is just pass-fails. The the faculty member or the student has the option to choose a pass-fail grading system for that semester. And, and that's, that's a nice catch-all and it's being empathetic to the student and to the faculty member but I I think that what we came up with and this is the power of shared governance and the power of having committees and and the academic senate is we came up with a an elegant solution that allows the most flexibility while still also being incredibly sympathetic to the plight of our students
0: I think it's a really good example of how sometimes the simplest solution is not the best solution even though Correct. a lot of times people like to jump to that conclusion let list, yep. whatever is simple. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that this is one of those situations that, that, that did not cry out for a simple across the board uh, solution, but something in a sense, a little more complicated, that's a little more flexible, that can really address a wide range of concerns and situations. So
1: yeah, we definitely can't paint with a broad brush at this time.
0: And I suspect that as you look back over this, uh, you feel really good about the spirit with which this conversation took place and the spirit with which this was put together and ultimately enacted.
1: I'm incredibly proud to be a, a faculty member at Carthage. The the faculty really came together. The discussions were spirited and robust, but they were always collegial and always student-centric. It was what's best for the student, what's best for the institution. How can we help the institution? How can we help the student? And, and make sure that the student is receiving the learning that they need to move on from the semester, whether they're graduating or they're freshmen.
0: Dr. Ed Kawakami, President of the Faculty Senate at Carthage. Uh, Dr. Kawakami, I really appreciate you making time in your crazy schedule to uh, have this conversation, and and I thank you for your leadership uh, through the course of this uh, important process, and thanks for being part of the morning show today.
1: Of course. Thank you so very much, Greg, and and be, be safe and healthy.
0: My interview with Dr. Ed Kawakami was recorded this past Monday, the 30th of March. As of this past Friday, the University of Wisconsin-Parkside was contemplating some potential modifications in its grading system for the spring semester, but uh, as of Friday had not made any decisions. Uh, As for Gateway Technical College, the decision has been made that the grading system for this current system uh, will not be changed. You're listening to The Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Part two will be coming up in just a moment. Before we get to part two of today's program, we want to remind you that The Morning Show is now available in a podcast edition, which allows you to hear a different morning show seven days a week. The Morning Show podcast is available through all the major podcast platform providers, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. It's important that you search for the program, however, under the proper title. Look for The Morning Show with Greg Berg. Part two is coming up shortly. And the following interview was recorded this past Monday, the 30th of March. And as we all endure the COVID-19 crisis hunkering down uh, away from family and friends and activities that we might be engaging in and enjoying uh it's important to in a sense look for the light and uh we're going to do that for the next few minutes with jolene hart who is a health coach and life coach and uh, responsible for a previous book called eat pretty and a new book called ignite your light a sunrise to moonlight guide to feeling joyful resilient and lit from within and uh when Jolene Hart wrote this book, of course, she had no idea uh, what all of us would be experiencing with this COVID-19 crisis, but uh, in light of uh, some of what she has discovered about uh, kind of the source of our own uh, light and well-being and energy, uh, she has some suggestions for us uh, as we all uh, move through this experience uh, together uh, in terms of keeping us uh, healthy and happy and and grounded. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that as well. Again, the title of her book is Ignite Your Light, published by Running Press. And Jolene Hart, we welcome you to The Morning Show.
2: So nice to be here. Thank you, Greg.
0: I'm glad we can have this conversation. We'll, we'll dig into your book in just a moment. But first, I, I know that uh, you have some suggestions for us on uh, how to uh, keep ourselves sort of whole and together and yeah. uh, and healthy uh, kind of emotionally and, and, and mentally as we uh, experience all of this uh, together. And uh, I'd just like to talk through those suggestions. And the first one uh, has to do with news and the media and what we take in. Explain what your suggestion is regarding this.
2: Sure. Well, a lot of these suggestions and the book itself were inspired by my experience with chronic illness. So um, I was in a situation very similar to quarantine, not able to leave the house for weeks or months at a time and sometimes just going to the grocery store. And a lot of these suggestions have kept me feeling whole and me feeling like my light was still shining during those years. So that's just kind of where some of this was derived. So your your listeners have a little bit of context. Uh, but definitely, you know, not reading upsetting news media as your first input of the day is so key. Um, This is not the time to reach to your bedside table and grab your cell phone as soon as you roll over in the morning. Awakening slowly and directing your mind to one thing you're grateful for. And if if that's hard, think of the rays of sun entering your window or your pet who's, you know, at your feet barking to go outside. Something very simple that you have that moment of appreciation of. And over time, that becomes... Um, you know, a, a practice to rewire your brain to actually increase your default to happiness and resilience. And that can be so helpful in this challenging time.
0: Mm-hmm. Number two is to make a short list of practices that bring you joy. And then, of course, you want people to make use of that list, not just to write that list. What would be some examples of, of these kind of practices that you think would make sense to uh, make a list of and, and to utilize through the course of the day?
2: So I call these my instant shifts, the things that I know can bring me out of a funk in just a few minutes. So brewing a favorite cup of tea, sitting outside and soaking up the sun for five minutes, uh, taking a break to dance to your favorite song. Um, You know, there's so many of those feel-good neurotransmitters that are produced in our brain when we hear music that we enjoy. So those can just be little things, and everyone can make a list of things that appeals to them. Maybe it's changing your clothes or washing your face and doing your hair and just feeling like you would be in a regular routine as if you were leaving the house.
0: Mm. Number three is uh, a uh, means by which uh, you would help us to, in a sense, keep at bay uh, some of the feelings that can really well up uh, often without Warning in particular, very high anxiety, stress, and so on. Uh, explain what your uh, what your tool is uh, when when this happens.
2: So this is kind of the basis of the book at large. Is that you have this amazing power to direct your mindset and your energy, and how much energy you give to things that drain you. So how much time are you are you devoting to the news? Do you check in once or twice a day, or are you refreshing? You know the news cycle constantly. If you if you feel this these feelings start to grow, um, you know just understand that that is a feeling. This is your fear talking. This is my anxiety talking. Um, Picture yourself maybe even swatting that feeling away, taking a giant eraser, and and erasing it and brushing away those eraser crumbs, and just replacing it with one thing that makes you feel okay in that moment because that's the moment that you can control hmm. you only have this now and it's so easy to let our fear spiral to tomorrow and next week and what if six weeks from now we're still in the situation so making sure that you know your your superpower is your energy and you control it right now
0: number four of your suggestions is make ample time for play and laughter and this reminds me that one of my favorite parts of your your new book ignite your light is when you talk about the importance of play uh, there's a section of the book titled wild and free the energy of play and laughter and one of the points you make is that we often talk about the essential role of play in uh, child development uh, forgetting that adults le- need play <laughs> uh, every bit as much as children do even though we tend to Put it way down on our list of priorities. And and especially right now, we we as adults need to remember uh, the importance of laughter and play.
2: And right now, we actually maybe have a little more time to put this in our schedules and realize that it's it's an antidote to what we're feeling right now. The heaviness of the situation is balanced out by the lightness that you feel when you play and laugh. And beyond that, when you look into the science of play and laughter, it's incredible what it does to help you to cope with stress better, to um, you know, help the growth of new brain cells, which is we need as adults as we age. It also in particular supports the immune system because it increases these powerful defense cells called lymphocytes, So here we are wondering about, you know, what we can take, vitamin C for our immune system. We can also make time for play and laughter each day. It tells our brain to restrict that stress hormone that's spiraling out of control and just kind of gives us a little refresh from that depletion that we're really feeling right now.
0: You also say in this section of your book, there are a thousand ways to play. So don't feel as though you need to pull out a board game or initiate a round of tag to experience the energy of play. I really appreciate you, in a sense, uh, trying to broaden our notion of what it means to play.
2: Right. As long as you're having fun, as long as you feel spontaneous in the moment and you're enjoying yourself, who cares what you're doing? We all have our our unique likes and dislikes, and it doesn't have to be play the way you used to play when you were six years old. This can be something that feels fun to you as an adult.
0: Number five of your suggestions is cook something fresh. And this is probably an important uh, reminder for a lot of people who perhaps out of uh, understandable concern have suddenly stocked their pantry full of canned vegetables and jarred pasta sauce and this and that and uh, and maybe f- forgetting the importance of of cooking fresh. Why is this suggestion here? Why do you think it is so important that it belongs on this list of suggestions?
2: Well, first of all, I think of cooking as a little bit like meditation. It does take us out of the situation we're in and put us in the moment to use all of our senses to smell and taste and season something. And when you're using fresh ingredients to do that, you activate your senses so much more fully. You know, you can really transform the way you feel mentally and physically because you're nourishing your body in that process too. But when you reach for a lot of those aromatic ingredients, so garlic, maybe fresh herbs that you have outside in your herb garden that are coming back to life or spices like ginger, those are the ingredients that are so rich in antioxidants and extra immune support, which we're all hoping to add to our routines right now anyway. So it kind of has that double, that twofold benefit of giving us the meditation moment, activating our senses and being fully present and also nourishing our body and supporting our health.
0: And I want to mention that your new book, Ignite Your, your Light, includes a, a number of, of, of recipes in it uh, for foods that you think are beneficial for, for many of these uh, life goals. Number six in your suggestions in terms of this current COVID-19 crisis, uh, try not to carry yesterday's worries and fears into the new day. Probably easier said than done, but uh, nevertheless, I can see how that would be of, of immense importance for someone's well-being. Uh, any suggestions on how somebody might manage to do that?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I have relied on this as a ritual you know, for so many years now, but just think of a practice that can help you to release at the end of every day. So for some people, this is more of a mental, emotional release, like journaling or chatting with a friend. For other people, they might gravitate toward a physical release. So going for a run and sweating or some deep stretching or you know, even crying it out during a sad movie, anything that can help you to release what you're building up during the day will help you to sleep better and just sleep more soundly and not have those thoughts, and worries weighing on you. And right now, we really have to do this every day because the stress is building up so much in every 24-hour cycle.
0: And the final suggestion that you have, I think, is very much worth talking about, and that is prioritize sleep. I mean, I think we all know to some extent uh, how important sleep is. But uh, (laughs) right now, when so many of us uh, find ourselves so worried, uh, sleep can sometimes be uh, elusive, even for people who typically have no problems sleeping uh, at all. And you have some suggestions on uh, helping people to uh, sleep, even in the midst of what we're experiencing right now.
2: Right, and it's it's so hard not to fall prey to that temptation to stay up all night, binge watching TV, because maybe you don't have to get to the office so early in the morning or maybe you're a little more flexible with your sleep schedule. But we've probably heard in many other places how important sleep is for our immune system health. So that's just the, the foundation here. But this can help you, again, to, to reset your energy for each new day. So one trick that I love to recommend to my health coaching clients and that I use myself is kind of setting a sleep alarm like 30 minutes before I want to be in bed. If I want to be in bed by 1030 and I start getting ready for bed at 1030. I'm not going to be in bed till 11 o'clock. So kick it back a half an hour, start to turn off a few lights, dim, dim your lights, turn off your screens, have something that helps you release or relax. And you start that cycle a little early so that you're really encouraging your body to get into that mode of calming um, down, my brain's, you know, going to be slowing, and that will help you to fall asleep faster. So you're not laying on your pillow, tossing and turning and thinking of, what you've gone
0: through that day. Hmm. We're talking with Jolene Hart, and we're talking about, uh, well, we've just been now been talking about some of the suggestions she has for all of us as we weather this COVID-19 crisis, but we also want to talk a little further about her brand-new book called Ignite Your Light, A Sunrise to Moonlight Guide to Feeling Joyful, Resilient, and Lit from Within. Uh, And most of the book follows the framework of your energetic day, uh, in which she talks about activities uh, at sunrise, through the course of the day, at sunset, and finally uh, later at at night. We've already mentioned the fact that uh, some of your book is about the importance of, of fun and play. Uh, there's another part of your book uh, that talks about the importance of breathing, I mean of proper breathing, and you call it at one point uh, your anchor for calm, the energy of breath. What would be a couple of simple solutions you have for for people to better understand the importance of breathing and how to properly breathe through the course of of one's day?
2: Right. Well, people think of of you know hearing about. Changing their breathing, and they think, "Well, that's the one thing I don't actually have to think about or worry about." Why are you making me think about breathing? But it's one of those things where you can control your mental state. You can control the release of so many of your neurotransmitters and the way your body is responding just by shifting your breath. Um, so it's a way to you know check in with how you're feeling throughout the day. Listen to your you know the speed of your breath, the depth of your breath, and when you do things like exhale um when your exhale is a little longer than your inhale you're helping to calm your body so instead of making sure you have those those short breaths you want to like lengthen them you want to relax and just know that you are supporting your body through that relaxed state of parasympathetic calm rather than letting that, the breathing build up and quicken throughout the day which actually happens pretty automatically when we're sitting at a computer when we're kind of hunched over at a computer so it's one of those, those things we have to check in with and make sure that we can slow down so we're not so reactive
0: hmm. i also appreciate one important point in the book when you talk about this term of flow, uh, which I've heard from a a couple of different uh, morning show guests I've talked to over the years. Uh, Explain to our listeners your understanding of this term of flow and of how one finds that. And maybe to take us back to this COVID-19 situation which we find ourselves in which so much of what typically gives us pleasure and probably gives us flow is, in a sense, out of reach right now. Can one even, in these current circumstances find this sense of flow. So first of all, I'll explain what flow is and then where we find flow in our current c- circumstances.
2: Sure. Well, flow state is it's really being in the moment and almost getting lost in the moment so much that you lose track of time. So I think of the last time you did an activity and you were so immersed in it and you had this feeling of just being so completely in that activity that you looked up and realized, an hour had passed um, that is flow state and we've all experienced it and there's this question of well, how do we get into it more because it's actually you know the benefits to our brain include a massive boost in creativity which estimated 500 to 700 percent boost in creativity when we're in flow state it's also just kind of like a big Ah, like a sigh of relief for our brain, which is bouncing around to so many different things during the day. When you're in flow, you are present and you're focused and you're, you're focusing on one activity, and that's such a great state for your brain to be in. Um, and so hard for us right now because we are, again, looking at news, we're at home, maybe we're juggling work and homeschooling kids. So finding time where you can encourage your brain and body to be in that state will help you to relax and really feel more fulfilled, feel more creative and happy right where you are, even if you're stuck in your home. Hmm.
0: Your book is full of all kinds of uh, other very very nice suggestions about uh, just general well-being. Maybe we could finish by having you explain uh, the way in which you are using the term light through much of your book. And the title, of course, of the book is Ignite Your Light.
2: Sure. So the book talks about both your light, which I think is, you know, it's, it's your essence. It's the feeling your presence conveys. And it's really the, really the sum of so many influences in your life. And I go through in the book 13 of those different influences from your relationships to your mindset to your spirituality and music and the interior spaces you spend time in. And all of that makes up that energy of your body, which I see as being your light. And boy, when we're going through challenges, whether they're collective challenges or personal challenges, that light can get dimmed so easily because all of those, those energy influencers in our lives, those relationships, the, the interior spaces, the music, all of those can kind of get shut down and, and we don't have that good energy flowing through it. So we go through in the book, Um, by by parts of your day, looking at the areas of your life that you can control, that can make small shifts and really transform the way you feel day to day in terms of your resilience, which we're looking for right now. But, but boy, that's one of the things that really is a factor in how well we age through the decades of our lives, just being resilient, because there's always going to be challenges that we face. Um, And beyond that, the joy that we derive from everyday moments, from our life in general, which is what we're all seeking, that happiness is really what we're all looking after. So Ignite Your Light talks about cultivating those. um, And from those, there end up being trickling down benefits to your physical health, your physical beauty that go beyond just the way you feel and the way you enjoy your life.
0: The book, again, is Ignite Your Light, A Sunrise to Moonlight Guide to Feeling Joyful, Resilient, and Lit from Within, uh, published by Running Press and the author Jolene Hart. Jolene Hart, thank you so much for uh, all of the advice that you have uh, shared today and for writing such a thought-provoking book. Thank you so much. Best wishes to you.
2: Thank you so much for the opportunity. Be well.